You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. It's five o'clock in the morning. You've just pissed on a dumpster. It's Miller time. Oh, he got hit! Look at the finish The return to glory. We will not be intimidated. We will not back down. Let's go. All right. Welcome to Drink and Think with Dak and Dave. We're excited that you're here, Drink and Think Nation. This is... You know, this is what it's all about. It's all about beer. It's all about sports, and we'll throw in a little bit of life here. So if you're just joining us, welcome. Let's hang out. We're going to talk some football. We'll throw in some life stuff. We'll throw in some World Cup stuff because that's happening too, and I want to bring that into the conversation no matter what Dak thinks. And uh, we'll just have a lot of fun, drink a lot of beer, and make some memories. So with that, we have a special guest tonight. Yeah, well, first, Dag may not be around tonight. It may be just you two because I'm going to pass out. You made me do 56 let's go takes to make one work tonight. It's like 956 degrees in my house. I'm sweating profusely. It's going to be a hell of a show. I'm glad to be here. But yes, I have my favorite mass hole here with me. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Matt. All the way in person in the Arkansas coming down to uh, hang out and chat with us. We've got a a bunch of shit to unpack from our weekend, but he's here, he's on the pod, and we're going to talk all kinds of shit. So, Matt, welcome. Thank you. Uh, happy to be here. Big fan of the show. Didn't realize until uh, about five minutes ago that I already met Big Rich, and uh, now, yeah. now I have a virtual autograph signature from him. So, um, yeah. It's all coming forward. together. Yeah, it's all yeah. coming together. All coming together. All right. So, uh, let's go ahead and start out and just kind of catch up with what's going on uh, in in your world. Um, I'll start really quickly because something I've just been stewing on. So uh, as most of you know, being Dak, uh, one of our favorite pastimes is to get out there and golf. And this week I had uh, my partners uh, bail on me because it was cold. It wasn't some great weather. So I go out there as a single, play the front nine. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. It was cold. It was like, it, it was like, high thirties with the wind blowing, but, uh, you know, front nine, I'm not playing well, but I play fast. So I, I play the front nine in an hour. Then I get behind these four old dudes who from 12 on don't let me pass them. That and it's just, it's like the worst fucking thing ever. Cause like, and they're not good. Like they're not good at golf and I'm fine. Like I'm not good at golf, but like let be cognizant of your surroundings and let people play through. Yeah, I'm personally I'm terrible at golf. I like going. I like drinking beers. But I definitely know I'm bad enough and slow enough that it's like I don't care if I'm if I just finish a putt and someone's just starting, I'll I'll say to like my partner, like, hey, why don't we why don't we just wait and these guys can play through that way I can have a little more time to take my nine strokes for a par three. I've watched probably like a couple fights and I have 
almost witness a shit ton of fights and at least verbal altercations because of uh, someone hit on someone else. Because of soap players and like that. And a couple of those are my family. So, you know. Yeah, it's the old, like, I'll just give them the old warning shot. Like, and then you just claim, oh man, I stepped on that one. I had no idea that I could hit that driver 230 yards <laughs> and it went whizzing past your ear. Dave's like, I had no idea I could hit that seven iron 130. My bad, guys. Uh, coming in hot. What'd you what'd you shoot today? I shot I shot a ninety one. That's not bad. Yeah. So uh wasn't great. Dude, inside, dude, it was I was inside of like, you know, all the touch plays inside of like 70 yards, just could not get get close to the pin. But I had I had a lot of fun. How many three putts? Four. Like it was bad. Oh, like yeah, that's better than me. I have four. At least in the first nine. I, I'd have to look back at my scorecard. But uh, going on to one of our soon-to-be sponsors, uh, 19 Holes, if you're interested in sponsoring the Dak Dave podcast, uh, they do a free golf GPS, and it, they keep track of your score. And it's actually pretty cheap if you want to pay the extra money for them to like track your shots, like what your yardages are and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I downloaded that for the game. It was pretty cool. Wait, how does how does like the golf GPS thing work? Like, so it just works. Yeah, it just works straight up off your phone. It's free. Uh, you use 19 holes, the app on either Android or iPhone. Uh, but yeah, you go out. It with you just take it to your local Muni. Uh, it just download the course and uh, it'll take tell you what you just tell them what tees you're on. It tracks where how far your shots are, how far you are into the green. Um, if you pay the price then you can track like your handicap you can track your uh what your typical yardages are so do you have to like hit a button like when you're about to swing and then hit a nope. button when you're at your ball again or like how does it know how it far goes, your ball I, so what i assume happens is when you're stopped you drive you drive to your tee shot the phone travels from a to b it tells you that's in dave's case 120 yards off the tee yeah so it tracks you just like a gps would off of like like apple or uh, Google Maps or whatever. Yeah. So it yeah. tracks like, so, all right. So Dave drove that 310. So he's got 40 yards left into the green for a par four. So, so. Happy, is that you? <laughs> the old Texas wedge for Eagle. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm going to be disappointed in you if I don't get a couple of like quintessential Boston shit. Like, uh, uh, well, like what do you, what do you look for? I mean, so, well, we already talked, you know, you come, so I, I take old, I take old mass old Matt here, see all my family, and he's like, and my family's like, well, that's not what I expected you to sound like. But meanwhile, Matt's like, that's exactly what I expected you to sound like. And so, but his accent is not like the quintessential, like what people think. So, like, lead into that because we kind of had that conversation. Yeah, yeah. So the the Massachusetts accent, it's like personally, I try to control it. Um, it, it it's a little more lazy than people think. Like I don't think I've ever heard anyone say like pack the car. Like everyone thinks like pack the car and have it. Yeah, that's everything you hear. Outside of maybe like a, cr a few crusty old guys, like I don't hear a lot of significantly dropped R's like that. Like usually what you hear is like, oh yeah, like uh, hey, thanks for doing that for me, man. And it's like oh, don't worry about it. It's whatever, you know. It's like it's more like subtle, and I feel like a lot of people that do that hard drop of the R and they're like really forcing it tend to be like posing 
So, uh, so like for me, and I, it might be, you know, for like folks in the military, you know, we travel around, so we kind of get adopt or we get, um, you know, surrounded by different cultures. So do you think it comes out like for me, like my Southern accent comes out more when I start drinking, like if I start drinking and I start like really relaxing, then then I'll really start getting into a lot more Southern stuff. Does that set work the same for Massachusetts? I would say that it's a similar thing because I've definitely been told by people when I've been um, slightly over the top to remember that uh, it comes out a little bit harder. So uh, uh, they, they definitely like when they recount the story, they'll, they'll say things like, oh, your accent came out so much. And I try not to have an accent because of those people who like force it really hard like they, i force it i force it really hard um and stuff like that and so i feel like that's a little i don't know it's a little over top but i do say things like wicked by the way no one says wicked pissa that that's a fallacy all right if someone says wicked pissa unless they're being like ironic they're full of you know what shit they're full of shit there you go you heard it here, folks. Uh, so, uh, can we talk about a wicked, stupid sport? Go, Dave. Yeah. Look, so uh, the world, the World Cup is here. It happens once every four years. Uh, and I'll go right off the bat and say that FIFA, so that's the Federal International Footballers Association, I believe, uh, is one of the most corrupt organizations in the world. Like. Uh, Dak knows that horse racing is like still probably to this day, like one of the most corrupt sports only follow, or it's only second to soccer. So uh, let's just recap the last places that the world cup has been played before Qatar. It was in Russia and this was after Russia invaded Ukraine. So, and then before that it was Brazil and then South Africa. So like, it's never been played in places yeah, that are those like are, those are great places. Exactly. So uh, we're playing it in December because Qatar won the bid, you know, four years ago. And guess what? Qatar is in the middle uh, or it's right by Saudi Arabia. It's hot as shit during the summer when you would normally play the World Cup. So now we're playing it in the winter. So a lot of people have protested a lot of human rights issues within Qatar. Um, a lot of migrant workers have died and they've basically said it's basically modern day slavery for the workers that built the stadiums. Uh, homosexuality is still punishable by the death penalty. Women don't have the right to vote. And a lot of different uh, national teams have tried to protest the fact that Qatar has has held up these stances and uh, yeah, right, to their right, own right, detriment. Rightfully so. Well, one thing I'll say is I feel like a lot of people don't have appreciation. It's like FIFA is trying to entertain a lot of countries that don't necessarily have the same values that some Western countries have. Western. So, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like, yeah, I feel like they have to take a hard stand one way or another. Either, hey, listen, we're not going to get political. Um, like that guy who, uh, I can't remember the player's name, but he got suspended for two games if he was going to wear the, the one love. Yeah. Right. Know, um, with a one love armband, right? And so personally, I can kind of understand where FIFA's coming from in the sense that they're taking the world population into consideration. It's like, listen, we're going to go no politics. We're not going to take a stand. This is not the 
arena for it. Um, but I can also understand people's hesitation, I guess, to accept that because we, we just kind of think our values override it. Yeah. So Matt and I talked about this earlier and I tend to agree with him. Like, Hey, we are full, full, a hundred percent send on, you know, uh, the rights of every American here. And so looking at the world spectrum, it's a little different, but ten, you know, in Qatar, we wholeheartedly are against that. But I tend to agree with him in the sense that specifically the fining for a team or what was it? It's a yellow card. If you wear the band, that's the last thing that I saw. Correct. I'm kind of Correct. for that in the sense that the the standard is the standard. We're not going to deviate from the standard. Like you will wear your uniform and if you wear whatever, then you get penalized. And so like, you know, so a couple of people are wearing the one love thing. Cool. What if I chose to throw on my personal armband that has nothing to do with that? Well, if they're rocking theirs, then I should be able to rock mine. Right. Yeah. I, I, I appreciate the points. I guess my only counter is by not taking a stand, you are taking a stand one way or another. You're either reinforcing the Qataris' right to choose their their own uh, internal, you know, social rules, and by saying that no one else is allowed to transport their social rules to along the the soccer stage, uh, then you're you are taking a stand. I mean, and this to, to be fair, this is also not um, this is pretty typical, I should say, for the World Cup soccer teams typically take like a lot of social stands during this time. We've seen the Iranian team that refused to sing to their national anthem. And they had a, uh, a basically a banner uh, supporting the protests that are currently ongoing within Iran. So it, this is not abnormal to the soccer stage. Right. And so I feel like within this FIFA world cup thing, you have to decide is this sports or is this politics? And, and I get that professional athletes when they get the chance to be on their platform have to speak their piece right like they want to support the thing that they believe in because that is how you get and at least in their eyes change because hey i'm i'm in front of a camera i've got to take advantage of this time to say what i believe but you have to remember that there's you know eight billion people that all believe different things so does everybody get to speak their piece and if so and you make sports political then everybody should get to say their piece or not. So sports or politics, you have to pick the two or it's going to be muddy as hell. I, I do definitely understand what Dave's saying, though, about the whole you by not taking a stand, you are taking a stand. 100%. And, yeah, it, it's one of those things where it's like you, you really do have to decide. It's like are you going to allow everyone to have a voice, even the people we strongly disagree with? Like, obviously, I don't think anyone on this podcast or anyone listening to it thinks that, Qatar's treatment of homosexuality is is right. Right. However, it's one of those things where it's like, do you start like how far do you go when you're breaking everything down? Like right. into other countries, into other religions, and like a lot of politics in the Middle East is based on highly on their religion, their religious beliefs. I mean, pro I mean, in the in the right answer, in my opinion, is we actually give a shit, then we don't go right. Like if you're going to do all of these bad things to these people that we care about. And these beliefs that we care about, which we don't support that. See you later. Well, that's you know, point. conform and then we'll come back. I'll say one the World Cup. I mean, I know Dak obviously hates soccer. I'm not a soccer fan, but 
the World Cup is kind of cool. It happens every four years, so there's that sense of rarity to it, like that you look forward to it. Um, but on top of that, it's like you have like country versus country. So it's like I don't watch soccer on an everyday basis, but I'm definitely a bandwagoner kind of fan when yeah, it comes USA. to the World Cup. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like the yeah. Olympics. Like I realistically, I don't care who could throw a javelin very far. But then when it's America versus Qatar or it's America versus Iran, you know, or America versus Russia, it's like, yeah, I'll watch that. Yeah. Recently. You know? So D- Dave, what's uh FIFA stand for? I think it's the Federation of International Footballers Association. What football? Can we talk about some football, baby? Uh, huge week in college football, honestly, in the NFL as well. But college football was freaking bananas wild. So let's go there. Yeah. So uh, it was basically opposite land this this week. You know, obviously, and this is a down week. I know that at least I, th- I think I heard the uh, the big uh, Foxes uh, noon football show like taking a shit on the out of conference schedule. Uh, within the SEC for the uh, this week, but it didn't really help them whether or not they scheduled an out of conference game and thought they could get away with it or not. All top four teams were zero and four against the spread, and TCU and Ohio State and Michigan, all three, really came down to the wire on whether or not they were going to make it to the next week undefeated. So, Matt and I were pretty busy this weekend we were you know hunting and we we shot a lot of ammunition and we were running around doing all kinds of stuff so we try to check in and honestly i'm pretty bad about it and i don't honestly care anymore if there's a game on and i'm like doing something else i'm checking the score if it's something i care about and it's late in the fourth i'm pulling it up you know it's research because we have a podcast so every now and then we'll miss some i'll miss some games but I uh, I tuned in to watch at least the last quarter or so of all the big ones, and dude, there was some scares like that. That TCU win, that clutch was in, insane, dude. Like a rushed field goal. I I can't tell you the last time I've seen a rushed field goal. Yeah, we talk about how important coaching is, right? And you know, maybe Matt can give us some insights here, but. You're, you're, you're under the gun, like you have no timeouts, and Sonny Dykes decides that the best way to do things here, rather than spiking the ball or, you know, uh, you know, maybe lining it up with the right hash and then spiking the ball in the next down, he runs two back-to-back run plays yep. and then has about 13 seconds to rush the field goal kicker on and then kick like a 43 or so yarder, which is not a chip shot certainly for college football kickers, which owe me a lot of fucking money for all the field goals that they've lost or they've missed, but uh, he rushes it on and it works out, but certainly not the way that you would expect a, you know, top four team to, to run. So let me ask you this, Dave, like, where do you think teams stack up? So let's say like, there's some other upsets we'll get into um, that were also bananas, but like, if you look at, Illinois, Michigan, right? Low scoring game. We like Illinois. I like Illinois. I'm going to say you do because we're homies. We like Brett Bielema. I didn't think that game would be as close as it was, but they they snuck one out there 17 19. 
that's a number three team against a, an unranked team. Um, what, like, what are you seeing and what do you, what do you think is going to stack up next week? Cause everybody looks shitty minus maybe, you know, Georgia's going to stay one, no doubt. Minus Arkansas. Yeah. We'll get into that. We'll fucking pig. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tough because I think this is like the week that probably the committee basically ignores uh, as just say, you know, this is an outlier. Everybody was looking forward to, cause like you can always say, okay, Michigan, Ohio state, they were looking ahead a week. Cause that's when they're going to face each other. You know, they can look at, at T well, TCU, they knew that. I mean, the Vegas had that line at two and a half. So them not covering the spread isn't, that isn't crazy, but uh, Georgia, why did they not cover the spread against Kentucky? I know that we said in preseason that this was going to be a hard game for Georgia and ended up being that, even though Kentucky isn't the team that we thought they would be. So, and then uh, it's, it is, uh, yeah, it's a, I think they just throw this one out and say this is just an outlier and we'll settle things next week because two and three are playing each other. So that takes care of that. Uh, TCU has a rough, uh, home game coming up potentially, and then Georgia's got a cakewalk as we have already said. So, so I think you'll agree. Top four remain unchanged. Yes, top four remain unchanged, but we know that fo the following week things are going to get shaken up. I mean, it's basically shake the the soda bottle and then just see what happens uh, because we got a lot of potentials coming up uh, based on the next game and then the the conference championship game. So this week really kind of flipped the SEC on its head, right? So we've got huge, not even like, holy shit, we kind of upset them uh, and didn't mean to. Huge wins in the old Gamecocks and then Arkansas Razorbacks. Yeah, I mean, you had Ole Miss, which really was still in a position to potentially make an SEC championship game with uh, a loss uh, by LSU. And then obviously just get the doors blown off of them by Arkansas. Arkansas, I think only scores a touchdown in the second half and they still beat them by 20 plus. Yeah, uh, it was very conservative and still did it handily. Right. Very and then conservative in the second half. Yeah. And then Tennessee, obviously, their season's done, not just because they got beat by South Carolina, which was, it was just, you know, everybody's got a chance, right? I'm not a Spencer Rattler fan. I think he's a, he's like a douche canoe, but, you know, gets it done. And then obviously Hennon Hooker, you know, terrible, blows his ACL. Like, I mean, what are you going to do at that point? Like that's, that is the glue that's kept that offense together and now he's out. So best wishes to him. Hope he can put it back together. I'm sure he will still get taken pretty high in the draft if he chooses to go that way. And then, you know, outside of the SEC, we've got some some interesting games in the Pac-12, which have provided this year for us. There's been a lot of stellar games, and USC outlast UCLA in a hell of a game, over 80 points, win by three. So... USC is looking like, and Dave said it last week, looking like they are on the end. Still a one loss, still a road ahead of them. Um, but that was a hell of a game. And then you had the Oregon Utah Oregon Utah game, which was also crazy. A, a little bit sloppy, lots of picks, lots of defensive turnovers, 
um, and then some, you know, maybe some weird no calls and whatnot. But that was a hell of a game as well. Well, definitely, like, I the full disclosure to everybody listening. I'm not the biggest college fan. I do not follow enough football. I probably could follow more. Um, but anyways, watching the Utah-Oregon game, it was weird because we had just finished watching the Arkansas game, and I don't know if it was because Arkansas was up by so much. I don't know if it was because they're different conferences, but there was a, a PI penalty called in the end zone against Arkansas, and the player was mostly looking at the ball, and he turned and looked at the, the player he was defending at like the last second, and he got called. And then next thing you know, we're watching Utah-Oregon, um, and they were definitely bumping a lot more, definitely some stuff that could be called pass interference, but they weren't. So do you think that's a different conference thing? Do you think that's just a, this particular group of refs? Well, that was a mouse. That was the mouse slusher. I, I remember where you're talking about, and that was a bullshit call, but I'll let Dave kind of talk his point on it. Yeah, I, I, I think this is a great point from Matt because, um, and this is as we go and transition into bowl season, right? So, I noticed the same the same thing when we were watching the USC UCLA game, right? So they were talking, and even the even the announcers were talking about how the refs are letting them play. Uh, you know, a lot of very a lot of hand fighting on the passing side of the ball. Going back to the conversation about the World Cup, is you know the rules are relatively clear, but. And and to be fair, coaches get an email ahead of time that says, hey, this is the way that these refs like to call. This is what they focus on, yada, yada, yada. But uh, as we go into bowl season, right, as we go into the college football playoff, we're going to have refs from the Big 12 that are, that are refing teams that have never played in the Big 12. And so you're going to see the Big 12, I think, has the softest referees. Like they call everything. And then you have other ones like the SEC, which are a little bit less, but still call a lot. And then the Pac-12, which doesn't seem to call anything. So you throw that all in the mix and you have these teams that have played with a specific set of referees for their entire season. And then when it matters the most, you throw in some random referee from the Mountain West that's going to be refereeing these teams. That is a huge factor in these games. And it's it's kind of... I think it's 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 not the way to do things because now it's really going to come down to the referees in a lot of these games. And I kind of agree with that. Not that the refs are favoring a team by choice, but kind of inadvertently favoring a team because you've been playing one way all season long, maybe even all four years of your college career a, a certain way. And you're playing more maybe aggressively at corner or you're playing more passively and the other team is getting away with more, that could significantly impact a game. Or if you're, you've are you been playing aggressively all season, then all of a sudden the ref is now calling you for PI when you've been doing the same thing all season. Yeah. It, in playoffs, in bowls. Right. You know? Yeah, and not saying like the rules are different, but there's just subtleties in like that gray area of what you can be allowed to do versus not allowed to do. Well, realistically, you could probably call PI – on Every, any any play, yep. any passing play, you could probably call PI. There's probably something or a holding every P, every play that if you were if you were wanted to, you could throw a flag for. Yeah. yeah. So, like going ahead, Dak. Like as we go into 
rivalry week and then later on into the conference championship week. Obviously, we know that two and three Michigan and Ohio State are going to face each other, and we'll talk about that uh, going on later. But kind of how do you see the college football playoff scenarios playing out as we've touched on it week after week? I think the I think the field has gotten narrower, right? We've yes. Tennessee is out. Yeah, Tennessee's done. Um all of the all of the two losses with the exception of LSU, I think, are done. Like that solidifies that. So now we're we're looking at teams that are undefeated potentially getting a loss somehow and will they stay in or not? And then the teams on the bubble are the ones that have one loss. Can they survive the rest of the season to stay a one-loss team, right? Like, like you, USC has to win out to go to CFP. And they're hoping someone else can get a weird loss in there that is not supposed to happen. And who's going to play upset? And then, you know, obviously we go into conference championship games, which will flip everything on its head likely again. So, you know, can LSU win out? Can they beat Georgia? Do they beat Georgia? What happens to Georgia? You know, I said this a couple weeks ago. I think Georgia's in no matter what. Um, yeah. LSU is the, the the team looking out. USC right now, the team looking out. Does TCU stumble? They almost did. So I, I agree. I think this week is like a, a week where we look at it, but we don't dig too deep into it. I think after next, you know, next Sunday, Monday, we start really – stacking up the wins and losses, the strength of schedule, and then how are, who's playing who headed into the conference championships, and then go from there. Yeah, I mean, Oregon, uh, I think, really put their name in the hat, and I know they had a, they had a loss to Washington uh, last week, but they, I think they put their name in the hat as another two-loss team that may be able to make it, right? If they win out against a USC team – they, and I know a, Oregon hasn't made it to the Pac-12 championship yet, but if they do and they make it to the Pac-12 championship, which all they have to do is win this weekend to do that, and then they win against USC, who will be ranked very highly, does Oregon, yes. whose only two losses are to Georgia in week Georgia. one yep. and then a tough away game against Washington, Yep. Do they get in as a two-loss team potentially? And then we, you know, the they've they tend to forget the impact of week ones. So not only was it the very first week, it was against the very number one ranked team. And so now you're looking at an LSU. So LSU upsets Georgia, they have one loss. Okay, cool. You look at Oregon, who now has two losses and beats a very good USC team. So now who who do you take? You have LSU with two losses, who's a conference champion, and you have Oregon, who's a two-loss team, that's a conference champion, and both of their losses are also ranked. Right. Yeah. There, was, there's a lot. A there's a lot to be I, said. I'm, I'm very like curious. Like, who do you take? You know, you and I, I are you. We're SEC guys, but like, where do you where do you go from there? I think if LSU wins. They're in if, if LSU wins, it's a nightmare scenario. I still stand by this. If LSU wins the conference championship game against Georgia, which they have to win this weekend at Kyle Field, stranger things have happened. That's a weird rivalry. Granted, AM sucks like big monkey ass fat booty. But uh if they if they lose that, obviously that's that's an outlier. But if they win against Georgia, 
I think that's the nightmare scenario for everybody because that means two SEC teams are in, which means that a conference is getting left out. Okay, let me let me riddle you this, Batman. LSU beats Georgia. They are the SEC champion. Oregon is also the Pac-12 champion with two losses. Do the conference champions snub a one-loss? Yep, yes. I did it. I'm sorry. Yes, they snub a Big Ten. With two they losses. Do not, with two, God, with I two losses. But they do not snub a Georgia. I think Georgia has stayed on top and been dominant long enough that unless that Georgia will make it in, I, I would say no matter what, unless Georgia like stumbles this week leading into the SEC championship game, that would be the only way I don't see them making it. Okay. I I really, really hope that happens. I, how wild would that be to have no two-loss team ever in the CFP and then have two? That would yeah. be cool. I, I, I dig it. I hope it happens. Uh, but I also am interested to see how USC will stand against big boy teams. Lincoln Riley's used to playing um, in the Big 12, and then he's been in the CFP a, a many a time. So he's used to playing the, the big boys of the, you know, the SEC. So I almost want to see them get in and get raffle stomped, but also two loss, two, two loss teams would be pretty cool. Yeah, uh, we will just say that Lincoln Riley and the college football playoff is has not they had do not have a really good relationship. It's like a it's like a battered. It's like just someone that just gets beat up but wants to come back again. Like I think I don't want to say it's as bad as as Notre Dame, but it's almost as bad. Like Oklahoma's scoring when they're in the college football playoff versus how much they scored against, it gets pretty rough. All right. So before we get into we've been we've been running our lips for a minute now. Uh before we get into next week's outlook, let's talk about some beer. Matt and I've hmm. been slaying beer. We've been putting beer down. We've been drinking all of the Millilites. The Millilites. We've been slaying all the middle lots, but we've been drinking um, some good beer too. Also known as the middle latte. The latte. Mm. That's catching on, by the way. It's catching on in West Virginia. It's yeah. Like, hey, you want a latte? You know, I've been spreading the the drink and think speech throughout the country, throughout the nation. So that I, way, I think we can take credit for the middle lot, but I mean, I've been I've been drinking Bush lattes for a long time. I, I hadn't heard of middle lattes until really? until your show. So I mean, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give middle latte to the drink and think nation. I like it. You know, drink it, right. drink it. There's a little bit of drink and think nation inside of every button. I want to think inside of every middle latte. You got is that, the drink and think nation. You got that drink. You got that drink and think in you. All right, uh, Dave. What are you What are you drinking? Okay, so I had the the fortunate. Uh, so I'm I'm off for the week, and uh, uh, my wife was kind enough that we went on a whole like big date thing in Kansas City today. So we went to Boulevard Brewing Company, which is enormous. This place is like, like it's an entire, basically, it's an entire colony of like i'm like five or ten huge buildings the uh the beer museum slash tasting facility slash like hangout place is four stories it's enormous but uh 
super cool, very like very chill environment. I had a Boulevard beer that I have not had before, which when I looked at their menu, it had quite a few of them, uh, which, you know, may say something about Boulevard, but probably says a lot more about me. Uh, a so, lot, of, lot yeah. of check-ins, a lot of check-ins. Yeah. So I had The Calling, which is a double IPA, uh, which, you know, very, so I'll, I'll try to channel my inner DAC here. So uh, very high on hops, obviously as a, as a DIPA, um, it has a lot of tropical, but very piney, very strong, but super clean and crisp. It is the, so far, one of the highest ranked beers I've ever had. Really? A 4.5 on untapped, phenomenal, out of the tap, very good. Uh, so the calling from Boulevard, great, great atmosphere, had a lot of fun there. Uh, I grabbed you a sticker, Dak, so. Let's go. All right, so that's what I did. Hung out at Boulevard. Great crew over there. Um, they had a a great beer from a brewery that I talked about last week, Firestone Walker. So it was a it was a collab between Boulevard and Firestone Walker. Oh a wheat. God. It was a wheat wine, which was super interesting. So a traditional wheat beer brewed at Boulevard shipped over to Firestone Walker that they aged in wine barrels and did some other uh some other stuff to it. Very interesting, like not something that I would like that I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is the most amazing thing ever," but still uh, a super cool idea. So, Matt, I'll pitch it over to you. What are you drinking tonight? Um I got the uh Mutant X IPA brought to you by uh Oscar Blues Brewery. Say that again. Is it uh, no timeout? Is it uh, Oscar or Oscar or how do you right. how do you pronounce First that? All, I haven't it, figured it, it out. Definitely not Oscar, <laughs> right? That that would be SC, right? How do you say the Scar weapon system, right? The seven six two assault rifle. Touché. I guess it's just a rifle. All right, all you gun nuts out there, don't get mad at me because I called an assault rifle. I, I get it. Assault is an adjective to the rifle, but whatever. Uh, anyways, the Oscar Blues Brewery. Uh, you know, uh, Dak had me pick one out of his fridge so that way uh, I could have something to talk about on the show. Besides the Miller Lot, yeah. Besides the Miller Lot, shout out to Big Rich, um, probably the person who ranks second in my life who loves Miller Lights, and the only other person who takes that, even though he doesn't listen to the show, I'll give him a shout out. Uh, Jimmy Doig, uh, also of the Lemonster Fire Department, Massachusetts. There you go. Um, that man, that man will crush some Miller Lights. Miller but Lots. anyway. Getting back to uh, the Mutant X IPA here. If you're not an IPA drinker, tread carefully. But I personally am not a crazy IPA drinker, and I kind of like this one. I, I think it doesn't necessarily have the mouthfeel, mm. the, the mouthfeel of a porter, perhaps. But uh, but no, it, it's nice. It's got that bitter taste of an IPA, but it's overall a pr- pretty good beer. Tell me, tell me what notes you're picking up because because. I try to do this like, hey, let's talk beers. And then Dave's like, oh, beer, good, smash. And so what what, what are you picking up in there? Uh, hops, malt, and smash. And so it's hard to like talk beer with my best friend. And so I need, I need, I need some details. Give me some details here. Well, I'm about to disappoint. <laughs> because it tastes like a pretty standard hard-charging IPA. It's got that bitterness of the of the hops that you kind of expect. 
it it's good, but I'm pretty sure Dak could tell me a lot more about the flavor of everything. But my girlfriend works the bar, and she made me a margarita, and I love margaritas. And she's like, she made me a mystery one, so I I drank it, and she's like, "What do you think it is?" And I was like, "I don't know, like some kind of berry. Is it like <laughs> raspberry?" Look. And then she was like, "It's banana strawberry." And so I I don't, I don't have the taste for these things. I can't. I'm not the taster that you want be like Look, oh yeah i'm getting subtle notes of hickory in this i don't know you both suck yeah i'm me dave and, on this one dave smash it yeah like me and matt we we just like we we drink beer amen brother. we like crush you know whatever and we yeah, watch wow. football like we're not gonna like we just don't have those finer like olfactory is that what it is that the is that the, or is that in your nose? That's your sniffer, brother. Uh, Dave, let me ask you this. Do you like spicy food? Because I have a theory here. Are you like a big I, spice guy? I, yeah, I love spicy food. All right. So here, oh, all right, here, okay. here's, here's my theory. You fit my theory. I love spicy food. I think we have less developed taste buds, right? And that's why we like spicy food, because we can handle it more. Dak hates spicy food. Absolutely hates it. And he has the taste buds to be like, oh, it's got good mouthfeel. I really feel it going down my throat, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I, that's kind of my theory that's going is like if you have less responsive or less attuned taste buds, you probably are more of a spicy food fan. Any theory that has Dak being a baby back bitch is okay in my book. He has gotten better, I will admit. Like when I first met him, um while we were deployed he was like someone who was like oh black pepper spicy okay. and you're talking about spicy i was like let's not shit on dak here you two yeah yeah dak was like black pepper is way too hot for me to handle but i will give him credit he has tried some hot sauces when i'm with him he's tried some hotter sauces and he, like some stuff is still too hot but he has grown into it now he tries some spicy things even without my peer pressuring so Moving on. Anyway, moving on. Dak, why don't you take so from the layman's terms of beer and moving up to the artisan. Right now I'm sipping pseudo Sioux pale ale from a very well-known toppling Goliath. Toppling toppling Goliath is uh, probably the best known brewery in Iowa. That's out of Decorah, Iowa, right? It is. Yeah, yeah. See, how'd you know that? I know my beer. I I might have read it off your can just now. Oh, oh, geez. <laughs> okay. All right. Touche. All right. So yeah, Toppling Toppling Goliath, very well known company, uh, very well known brewery in Iowa. They've got some pretty good distribution across the country. This is the Pseudo Sioux Pale Ale. This is made with, yeah, definitely a lot of citra hops borders borders on the the ipa ish feel it's got that mango it's got the tropical um absolutely crushable beer though this is uh, what, what did you say earlier like not for the ipa faint of heart if you're a yeah. pale ale drinker like you're like let me get some sierra nevada in my mouth don't go for this guy because it's a little more than you're probably bargaining for more of the ipa scale it's it's very very on the ipa scale um but Nonetheless, good beer. I haven't had a ton of Toppling Goliath in my life, honestly. They don't usually make their way 
super far east or super far south. But so I have a question for you, Jack. Oh, yeah, as yeah. our as our beer uh, guide, uh, our our beer aficionado. We're going with aficionado. 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 I was going to say like our uh, our guide into the world of beer. So when he talks about, so you talked about it being a little more hoppy. Talk about how IBUs equate to hoppiness. This is this is Dave. Like, all right, let's put show notes in. How can I stick it? To be clear, I've I've kind of learned this weekend that Dak might not know as much about brewing as he first. Thought. Okay, send it. Go, go, go for it. So here I am, down in our the great state of Arkansas, I'm going to visit my good friend Dak. Dak here. Uh, self-proclaimed brewing master, self-proclaimed maybe brewing raider. This, uh, maybe I wish beer. I was a brewing master. But would, would you say would you call yourself a pretty good brewing raider? Raider, what do you mean? Like yeah, you're good at like rating different beers, whether they're IPAs or lagers or whatever. I have a foundational knowledge of the beer world and can describe it at a decent level. Yes. So at what point after you start brewing do you add an absurd amount of water? You don't. That's called a fuck-up mat. Ah, yes, yes. Um, you, you, you care to share for the brewing community? Because I could describe it, but it might not sound Okay, yep, all good. right. Yes, I will say. Okay, so I've done this with a couple of people. Dave came down, we brewed. Big Rich came down, we brewed. I like to try to share my ability to make beer with people that I know that like beer. And that seems sensible. That's a sensible connection to me, right? And so we're brewing. Uh, I'm going to make a cranberry orange ale that's kind of like a Thanksgiving, Christmas-ish kind of drink, right? Yeah, it's going to be good. I think it still could be good. Stand by one. Um, and so 90% through the brew day, we've already sparged, we've already boiled, we've already pitched, uh, we've already thrown in all of our hops. Um, boiling is complete. So we're at the point where we're going to drop our temperature as fast as we can. So I have this system that's made of copper. You drop the copper into the into the, um, the copper coil. Yeah, a copper coil into the mash tun, and you try to you turn on your water and you push cold water through the copper coil as fast as you can, and it takes out the heat. Um, that help. That's called the cold break. It helps with the cold break. It helps make the beer taste better it kind of decreases the potentiality of um any kind of bacteria infecting it yada 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 so meanwhile we get that going it's ready to rock water's flowing we come in we're eating some pizza and we're bullshitting this usually takes about 16 to 20 minutes for it gets to uh ground temperature and it's ready to pitch some yeast i go out there at about 16 to 20 minutes and i'm like all right let's see where our beer is this freaking thing overflowing water is everywhere it's all over my equipment it's on my like actual electric switch box potentially jacking up my my brew kettle um all right i sprung a leak in my copper coil and this it, it, it filled up my entire thing dude so you know the solution to pollution is dilution as we say you put enough water into something nothing else is left right and so we had like a, a specific target original gravity. There's so many sugars in this solution. And then when you dump who the fuck knows how many gallons of water into it, 
It really messes it up. Which is a specific gravity meter, I guess you might call it. Well, like also got roasted. Yeah, right. Yeah. So it's my 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 uh, original gravity uh is jacked. Yeah. Yeah, so you use your specific gravity to tell what the ABV is. And so you have an original gravity and a final gravity, yes. And so we're we we're in salvage mode. So I think that we have a beer that will be consumable. Basically what I did is I took a I took an original gravity and then dude, I I tell you not, like I've got a fucking black cloud that lives over my head. And so I, I drop in my hydrometer, which tells me my gravity reading, and it shits the bed, breaks on me. So I have no idea what this beer will be ABV-wise, but we're going to try to salvage a beer. And so what I did, you know, I took some dextra, uh, sucrose, rather, put some sucrose in there. We got it back up to boil, and we did our thing. But yes, bring a friend in. I'm a pretty decent brewer. One day I wish to open my own brewery. Not going to happen. Shit the bed. <laughs> And this is what we like to say. Uh, Murphy always gets a vote. Murphy, and Murphy is a mother trucker. I think we have all experienced this. You know, you step out uh, as soon as you, you know, as soon as you SP, you're out of the gate, headed to doing whatever, and then truck two drops fill in the radio, which means they can't talk anymore, and so now yeah. we're. We're yep. jumping through our ass to trying to figure out, hey, how are we going to get truck two to talk again? And we got all kinds of other stuff going on. Murphy always gets a vote, folks. And uh, sometimes it's not the vote you want. You just got to keep rolling with it. Well, we won't divulge into this story, but I will tell you that truck two has dropped Phil before. And that truck was mine. And my big, big boss was in the back of it. That was a shit show. So, yeah, you're reverting to hand and arm signals in Max Bros. It's not pretty. I know that that has, you know, Dak, you said you got this dark cloud over your head, but let's, let's go to lighter days. Let's go to lighter times and let's go to Thanksgiving, right? Oh, so we got yeah. Thanksgiving coming up this week. In my mind, the combination of football and Thanksgiving is one of the quintessential American traditions. It's overindulgence at, at, at like both on the watching football alcohol food scale like going out and playing outside and like tackling your like seven-year-old cousin too hard like it's all of the above so give me some of your favorite things that you guys love to do for thanksgiving holiday real quick before we get started into our favorite things i just thought i don't know i had a uh shocking revelation i guess um, it was revealed to me by my girlfriend. I was like, because uh, I, I told Dak and Dave here, but for those listening, I, I coach high school football. I'm a positional coach for D-line, no-line. And something that was brought to my attention by my girlfriend, who grew up in Pennsylvania, currently lives in West Virginia, and I'm like, yeah, we got our we got our last game coming up on Thanksgiving, right? Pretty Pretty normal to me. I'm probably pretty normal to a Texan, I would imagine, right? Um, yeah. She was like, oh, that's weird. You have a game on Thanksgiving? And I was like, what do you mean? Like, of, of course we have a game on Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving game uh, it used to be, was before playoffs in Massachusetts. That long story short is that Massachusetts changed the rules. So now it's like just kind of its own game. But yeah, she was she was shocked by the fact of a Thanksgiving game. And I, I don't know, I guess I just kind of want the validation from you two here that 
I'm not the only one who experiences Thanksgiving games or like the only state that experiences regular Thanksgiving games is a big thing. Yeah, um, I mean, that's that's pretty normal uh, in Texas is to have a game either the day of usually like I like I remember like the day before or day after we would see a lot of uh, a lot of high school games. You guys, Arkansas Thanksgiving games. Yeah. So back in the day, and this has changed recently because they forced the Missouri rivalry on us. But back in the day, it used to be Arkansas, LSU and then. Alabama, Auburn. And so we watched both of those games and that was huge. So you would, you know, you eat, you watch some football, you maybe take a nap, you you maybe go hunt, kind of throw that in there. But yes, football is a huge part of the Thanksgiving tradition. And then not to mention on the NFL side. What what about high school in Arkansas? Do you guys have a, a high school Thanksgiving game? I I will be the first to tell you, we could phone in Big Rich. Uh I'll be the first to tell you, I don't follow high school football. Um, I went to a high school that had a terrible football program. Now, that is a huge thing in the state of Arkansas to have good, you know, we love our high school football, but that's not necessarily a my my preference thing, so I, I can't speak to it. Hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess like Massachusetts has one thing going for it, similar to Texas. So we Thanksgiving Day game is kind of, a huge thing for my hometown for the town that i really? played high school in yeah it's a, it's the the big game of the year like usually you're playing your rival you play the same person on every thanksgiving and that that just the like whether whether you're in playoff contention or you're not or whether you're going in the championship or not that is a game that is close to second if you are going to the championship hey i'm sorry trying. hey big rich hey do we in the state of Arkansas, have a rivalry in the high school football world on Thanksgiving? Is that a thing? No. Um, what? Thanksgiving is slated for the playoffs. Okay. All right. So in Massachusetts and Texas, apparently they play like rivalry games on Thanksgiving. I'd, I'd never heard of that. I wasn't sure. But I said I would call my uh, my guy on the inside. The Big Ridge. No. uh Rivalry games in the state of Arkansas are usually week zero and week one. Oh, that's wild. Huh. Okay. There we go. All right. Thank you, sir. And that's, uh, you know, that's why we have Big Rich around. So give us some knowledge. So I will pitch it back to you. So taking aside, so I got Matt, we've got the high school football. Dak, what are some typical Thanksgiving football? What are some things going into that you're looking for? I mean, I kind of just spoke to it. I mean, you have a massive feast. You have all of your family together. You eat, you chat, you watch. For us, you watch college football. You catch, you know, the the boys-lions game. You're watching that. Um, you may or may not sneak in a nap. Uh, you try, at least I do, I try to gather up as many people as I can. Let's go throw something in the yard, like find a football Hey, we've we've spoken to uh, throwing a rock around. I'm I'm not opposed to it. Playing a little rock. I'm playing a little rock. Um, and then you know maybe you probably don't get a deer hunt in on today, but you know we won't judge you if you do. But yeah, I mean it's just fellowship, food, and football. So yeah, but one of my my favorite memories of Thanksgiving is uh, my older sister. 
she brought home a boyfriend for Thanksgiving, and uh, he was not a huge sports fan uh, leading out the gate. He turned into one, and he's a hell of a hell of a brewer uh, as well. But uh, oh, is that how that works? Day one, day one. uh, You know, she comes home for Thanksgiving, and uh, you know, we we ask him, "What do you want to watch?" on thanksgiving day you know trying to give the guests something you know you get a choice you know you can you can say what you want what do you want to watch he's like well i'm not really sure what's on was like well it's gonna be football one way or another so you tell us or you know or you want to watch the cowboys game or you know you're trying to give you them mean, a little you bit mean of you choice. don't know what time it is like you don't know who's playing currently okay yeah so like but that no he, he can stick around yeah, that dude can brew some fucking beer, but yeah, he can. That, that, oh, that, yeah, right. yeah. I bet he doesn't fuck up a <laughs> thanks a five beer. gallon batch. Yeah, okay. Well, let me ask but, you this day because I I want to I'm gonna hit you with uh I misread your notes and you know we sh- we talked about this we kind of share notes throughout the week we get our show prepared we do our thing we both have real jobs um and so I misread your notes and then my preparation favorite memories on Thanksgiving football meant to me. What is your favorite football memory? And so mm. I'm going to put you on the spot. I have a good one, and it's my favorite, and it's probably not the one that most people will go to. Do you have a favorite memory in sports, in the in football, that you would like to share? Either one of you two. I have I have two memories. One is good. One is not good. So uh, being growing up an A&M fan, but my parents went to A&M, uh, Thanksgiving was never a good time because AM played Texas and Texas usually beat the shit out of AM. However, uh I do remember one specific time where we're we're driving up to my grandma's house, you know, and we're, you know, we're balls deep. We're like third quarter in the AM game. We're listening out on the radio and, you know, in the station wagon, the backwards facing seats. Half of us don't have seat belts on. And AM ends up winning that game. You know, that's a great. And then we have Thanksgiving dinner with my aunt, who is a who's a T-SIP, uh, Texas fan. Uh, my not great memory is, and probably one of the more famous sports memories is Randy Moss getting three hundred three touchdowns and like 180 yards, Vikings playing the Cowboys on Thanksgiving. And that is one of my not favorite memories, but still a very memorable sports game. That's usually a go-to for fans when they're like, what do you remember on Thanksgiving that's, you know, quintessential of Thanksgiving sports? So do you have any? Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, my favorite Thanksgiving memory is a little bittersweet. Um, I was a senior year of high school, so high school football career is coming to an end. Um, this game was a big game for us because back then the Thanksgiving Day game was included as far as your ranking, as far as if you got to playoffs or not. So it was a a must-win scenario for us. Um, And on top of that, we had to win and another team had to lose in order for us to make playoffs. So um, during the game, we are absolutely crushing this game. It meant a lot to us. It didn't really matter to them. They weren't in playoff contention. They were a decent team, but they were young. So um, we're, we're crushing them, and I am a play-to-the-whistle kind of player. I don't play to win the block. I play to the whistle regardless of the situation. Um, 
so anyway, it gets to the point where they kind of stopped counting our score because we were up by well over 40 points at this point. And um, I, I hit a guy and the whistle sounded and I stopped and the, the ref told the coach if he didn't pull me out of the game, he was going to throw me out of the game. And the penalty for getting thrown out of the game is you can't play the next game. And so I was a, a senior. I was on O-line, D-line. Yeah, right? And so I was on O-line, D-line. And um, I was a captain at the time. So it was kind of one of those things where it's like when he pulled me out of the game, yes, it did benefit me because the other team wound up losing playoffs. But at the time, that was potentially my last game of football. It's a good memory now because we made the playoffs. Granted, albeit we lost. Big bummer. It was a cool game, though. Snowing. It was your everything you think of when you think of a, a playoff game in the winter, it was like a good snow, but you could still run on the field type thing. Um, so it, it overall wound up being a good memory. I can talk about it fondly now, but at the time I was quite upset, but yeah, it's something about high school football and playing on Thanksgiving that, that really does leave an impression on you. You guys have like two personal things. Again, when I was preparing for this, it was, I had a little different. I thought it was like, the best football memory, and so I'm sorry, I didn't take this to like personal level. I do want to say, like, if you had to say, like, what is there one play that you remember on Thanksgiving that is like out outshines the rest? I know you just talked about the Vikings, like that was a that's a pretty big game on Thanksgiving. Any others? Okay, cool. So I remember 2012, the butt fumble, Mark Sanchez. Yeah, right, Mark Sanchez. Vince Wolfort shoves him, uh, shoves the center, pushes him back, results in a touchdown, the butt fumble. I I, I just want to throw it out there because when I was thinking of this, I was preparing for it. I was like, what, what game stood out? What big things happened? The butt fumble was huge. We're over a decade later now, uh, or I guess approaching a decade. Anyway, uh, that's pretty cool, the butt fumble. Thanks, thanks, Sanchez. Do you guys look forward to watching the Lions on Thanksgiving? Because me personally, I, lo I look at the Lions, I always see an underdog team. Oh, 100%. So therefore, I, and they play. They played every Thanksgiving. I think they're the only team that played every Thanksgiving. And um, so, like, that's one of the games that, even though as a Patriots fan, I, I look forward to watching the Lions, regardless of who they're playing. So, interesting, because I, I'm on the opposite side of the fence. And I will say, this year's Lions team is a is kind of an aberration in the system because I would say typically no one is interested in watching the three and you know whatever three and eight Lions or three and seven Lions play you know and just get the doors blown off of them but this year they are an enjoyable team to watch like they had hard knocks. Like I think America wants the Lions to be good. And so this year I will say, yes, I'm glad the Lions are on Thanksgiving. Normal years, I'm like, Jesus, why do we have to watch the Lions on Thanksgiving? Big Dan Campbell fan, big Dan Skipper fan. Yeah, pulling for the Dans. I like the Lions. And then Jared Goff's not a terrible quarterback, I guess. I don't know. But, but what about Megatron? Like back in the day when we were younger, like that, they was on the lion. Super, super fair point. Don't get me wrong, Matt Stafford, and it, despite having Megatron, it's weird that he had so much success at the Rams, but he had Megatron at the Lions and didn't have the same success. Maybe it was because everyone knew Megatron was so nasty that 
they're like, we got to double, triple cover this guy. I don't know. But still, it's like that was one of the things from like, oh, man, I can't quite remember the, the dates. I'd say roughly 2009 to like 2014. I don't know. That's like something to look forward to. It's like on Thanksgiving, you get to watch Megatron try to go to work. That That's a great point. And you honestly, I mean, looking back, there is not too many teams where you could say where the they had almost their entire offense rolled up into one player. And yeah. for people that want to talk about like the one handed catch, I mean, like, and like the big bodied receiver that's just able to go up and get it. I mean, that was that's Calvin Johnson, like tied up in a bow. And that's what he was back in the day. Well, like Calvin Johnson, like if anybody could fight for like greatest go up in Randy Moss, if anyone could, who else could have a name of Mossing a, a defensive back? It's probably Calvin Johnson. So yeah. I know, I know, like a lot of people say, like, oh, that guy got mossed. You know, it's like, but if if Randy Moss was three years later, people would definitely be using Megatron or Calvin Johnson as the name because he's probably the, the closest receiver that could compete with that. All right, so looking forward to this upcoming uh, Thanksgiving of football. We've got three pretty decent games. Like, we got an NFC East game that matters, right? The Giants at Dallas, although Dallas is heavily favored. Um, we can talk about that. We got Cincy, Tennessee, which is going to be a toss-up. Bills, Lions, less so, but... Uh, let's talk uh, Giants at Dallas. What are your thoughts going into this game? Uh, Dallas favored by minus eight. Granted, we are recording it. Typically, we record on a Wednesday, which catches a little bit more of the sharps bets on the Monday, Tuesday. We are recording on a Monday this week. So the bets are very, very early. Tough to tell. Uh, really split between the two. But right now has Dallas favored minus eight. Over under 43. What are your thoughts? Some people might call the Dallas Cowboys versus the New York Giants like a little bit of a trap game for Dallas. But I think Dallas is coming off a, a very confident win against the Vikings. Unreal. And I, I think that they're gonna they're probably gonna roll for maybe two, three games. Now, granted, I don't think that them boys are the team this year. Uh oh. But I, I still think that they're probably gonna crush the Giants on this upcoming. I think minus eight is significantly behind so you know i'm gonna throw the stat out there dave loves espn stats he basically they're like the gospel for him he never questions them and never goes against them but i saw today that dallas had a 44 percent chance to get to the super bowl dave what do you think about that okay <laughs> obviously <laughs> for those that just that are just joining uh, I there are a few things that I count with less faith as ESPN stats. It's like it's like your uh, your gas station sushi. It's like when the Afghan National Army says, "Don't worry, we got your six. I mean, those are all synonymous <laughs> with the uh, with ESPN stats. Uh, I am. <laughs> And this is only from the emotional scarring that I have from being a Cowboys fan. And the last time that we won a Super Bowl was 1995. I was five years old. Watch it happen. No big deal. Uh, I, yeah, 43% is way too high. 
what I will say is, uh, you know, the old uh, Daniel Jones, he is really good when the focal point isn't on him. Zero and nine straight up in primetime games. This is as primetime as it is. Eight is a lot of points here. I don't think I will take the eight. I think I may take the under and maybe throw Dallas in a teaser to get that total down. What's what's the over-under? 43. Ooh. Because this is an NFC East, like this is an NFC East rivalry game. It's going to be very hard nosed. There's not going to be a lot of points going around. I do not have faith in Dak as a quarterback. Dak, both Dak on Dak Drink and Think and Dak Prescott on the Cowboys. Have faith in Z in either as a quarterback in the NFL. So I think this goes under. I've got a torn rotator cuff, so don't put any money on Dak the podcaster. But have you met my guy, Tony Pollard? Have you met him? Your guy Josh Allen, first of all, Mister okay. Mister Switcheroo. But uh, all right, quick question: As a Dallas fan, do you? I don't want to get too off topic of the Giants Dallas and Thanksgiving game matchups, but do you think the owner is good in his involvement, or do you think he's too over involved? I I think that uh, the rabbit hole trap question. <laughs> The Jones family, the Jones family is both one of the great best things and one of the worst things for the Cowboys franchise. Uh, they are definitely in the spot of we will pay whatever it takes to get a win. The problem is, is they're, they uh, they imagine and they uh, kind of put together and build their own team that they think is capable of winning which is built on Jerry's experience as the 1964 uh, college football champion for the Arkansas Razorbacks. So uh, not necessarily educated in the current day. So they will pay the money. Like they will go out and like everyone's talking about OBJ. Will they go out? Cowboys will pay the money to get OBJ if they need to. The question is, is can is Jerry is too involved to the point that sometimes he subverts his own efforts. So so would you like to see him continue his involvement, or would you like to see him take a step back perhaps and let the head coach and his coaching staff take a little bit more control of the team in his direction? I would like for number one, Mike McCarthy to not be the head coach. The only reason Mike McCarthy got a Super Bowl was because he had a fucking freak at quarterback, which is Aaron Rodgers. Hey, let me let me ask you this. This we we talked about this on our our homies side page here. Uh, does Kellen Moore leave after this season? Listen, if you <laughs> want Kellen Moore, come and fucking get him. All right. <laughs> Like he's he is Jason Garrett in reincarnated one good year as an offensive coordinator, terrible backup quarterback. Go ahead, come and get him. Let us go out and get somebody that's actually good at calling plays because this guy is just he's not good. Okay. Second question. What is the future for 
the running back position of the Dallas Cowboys. I'm hitting you with some some solid. I know my answer. Solid. Or I, I, hey, I've been preaching my answer for two years, and it may be coming to fruition here, but I want to hear from the source. Here, Yeah. Source is close to the Dallas Cowboys, i.e. Dave. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, what I will say is everyone is everyone is completely aware of how undervalued Tony Pollard is. Um, and we know that Zeke has had issues with uh, football and with injuries. Uh, I do think that he is very tied to the Cowboys program. He like he does a lot of like extracurriculars after, uh, you know, whether it's donating clothes and food and all this kind of stuff, volunteering. So I don't necessarily see them like dumping him. What I do see is a contract or a contract limitation basically to buy back some cap space where they say, Hey man, you're only getting this many snaps. You're only doing this much production. Therefore we'll do a little bit of contract. Like we'll shrink your contract a little bit, let you stay with the team. And I think he'll be okay with that so he can come in on those key downs. He did score two touchdowns against the uh, against the Vikings last week. Uh, I'll say this. I, I think if you have to choose between the two, you take Pollard. And that's not necessarily a knock on Zeke, but it's more positional-based. If, if you have a quarterback who's been in the league, generally they kind of get better with age. And the reason being is they get more used to the NFL. They get more used to reading the defenses, and they can produce more. But at the running back position, like you said, Zeke has had injuries, and that takes a toll on running backs, right? Like even Adrian Peterson, probably one of the one of the great running backs of our generation. Um, he, after his injury, it's like he's not the same Adrian Peterson, and I think the same for Zeke, Ezekiel Elliott. So I think you go with Pollard, who is – a younger, potentially more consistent, like running backs is something where you got to squeeze the juice out of it while you got it, because it's only a matter of time till you get injured. Their lifespan is shorter than it used to be. Absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree. So I think if it, it now, if you can keep both, then cool. You got two really good running backs at your position. You got one that's knowledgeable and you got one that's young, but if you can only take one, I think you stick with Pollard. I, I disagree though. I think you have to choose. Now, granted, in the NFL, we are starting to see a more two-back system that works out. Mm -hmm. I mean, you look at Green Bay, like maybe a little bit, uh, although there's, you know, a little bit Dylan, a little bit yeah, Jones yeah. is starting to take the kind of starting role. But yeah. we're starting to see that two-back transition maybe. But I don't see that both of them stay just because of their hype. I think you have to choose. I think you have to – I'm sticking with Zeke. And I'm going to trade away Pollard for a shit ton. Really? Or no, no, I'm I I no, I'm wholeheartedly you take Tony Pollard. I think he's a stud. But you would stick with Zeke. No, no, no. I'm just saying if you stick with if you oh. stick with Zeke because he sells more jerseys. He is a big name. He is Dallas Cowboys. If you stick with him, you will get a shit ton for Tony Pollard. There are so many teams out there that would take him as an RB one. So I I don't think that both play here. I uh, and I really I do agree with Dak's logic. There is 
you know, Tony Pollard is doing great, uh, obviously, and he's a great one-two punch between Zeke's like really punishing runs and then the quick runs. I think a lot of teams will buy in on that. Uh, but this is a point where as the Dallas Cowboys, going back to what you said, Matt, uh, running backs, they have a lifespan and it is not necessarily very long. And so this is something the Cowboys have never really done very well is finding out when you can trade high on a player when they're at their peak and knowing when they may go down into a trough. And so maybe this is the point where the Cowboys say, you know what, uh, Pollard, thanks. Go off to, say, the Ravens that are struggling at running back. Go off to, you know, whatever franchise, and we will take a first-round draft pick. And then... As a result, we will pick up maybe a we'll take a Muhammad Ibrahim oh from Minnesota that can run for days. And so, speaking of running backs having a short lifespan, Josh Allen with the Bills at the Lions this week, I, guy needs to stop lowering the shoulder because he, he he's realistically making himself a running back. He's already suffered kind of a shoulder injury, which impact I believe impacted his. Vikings game, which he threw, what, two, three interceptions? Two two in the red zone. Obviously, a, a red zone interception that cost him the game. Yes, yes exactly. So it's like that that, that guy needs to I, – I totally understand. I can take the respect from the amount of his like, hey, as a O-lineman or as a running back or receiver, you can look at your quarterback. That guy wants to win us the game. He's willing to take the big hits just like the rest of us. But you also have to be smart enough to realize – Maybe you don't take those hits because your team needs you in the game. You need to be slinging those balls downfield so that way you can get up those big plays and make those clutch wins. And this is why this is why I respect Lamar Jackson so much. It's because coming out of college, everyone thought if he could play, if he could play quarterback, that's all he's going to do, right? He's going to run the ball. He's going to be shifty. He's going to take a lot of hits. But somehow this guy has, he's transformed himself. He's just, he seems to be like a great, just great fucking dude that cares about people. I mean, the last interview I saw, he called this, the lady that interviewed him, ma'am, and like walked off the field. Like he's just a good dude, but he has found a way to be a pocket passer that can get out, but but get out of bounds quickly. And that I agree. That is something that Josh Allen has not figured out yet. I Yes. He, Lamar is now a pass first run second guy. And I love that because it has longevity in the league. I completely agree with you. I think we talked about this the other day, like little things matter to me. And when like you pick a guy up off the ground that you run over on truck stick that, you know, is holding the camera. You're like, Oh my bad dude. Or you say, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Like little things like that translate to big things down the road in a football game and a lot of people don't see that um but back to josh that's like a weird a weird like sticky situation to me because me i can see myself being josh in that situation nothing else matters i don't care if i play in the league one year or 10 years i will win and i will truck you because i'm that competitive and i am stupid competitive like stupid, like probably diagnosably something about competitiveness, deep seated issues there, like way deep. So I get that. But also 
as a Bills fan, you have to look out for the longevity of your team. If this is your franchise quarterback, you cannot do that because you will get one or two years and not 10. And so that, that does not equate to we have a decade worth of winning seasons versus, hey, we get to the, the Super Bowl one time. So fuck the years. All right. I, 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 it sounds like I'm contradicting myself. I'm not asking yes. him to plan out his career. I'm asking him to plan out his season, right? Like if, if he messes up his shoulders, cool. He goes through the season. He gets enough wins. They get to the playoffs. They get to the AFC championship. Maybe they get to the Super Bowl. But now his shoulder plays an impact on his throwing capability with guys like Davis and Diggs in your receiving core. Those are big weapons for your offense, but you can't get them the ball. Like the interceptions he threw against the Vikings, it wasn't good defensive play. He threw them behind the receivers. Yeah, you know what I mean? He, th- he he threw them to the D-backs. It was an easy pick for them. The Diggs, like in the in the end zone right there at the end, had his guy beat. I can't remember if it was Diggs or Davis, but he had his guy beat. He just threw the ball behind. I imagine that was due to his injury. I'm asking him to plan out his season, right? Who can throw the ball better than you on your team? If there was someone better, then you would not be the starting quarterback. That's just how it is, you know? So I'm asking him, like, listen, I love the way he runs. If he was a running back, he would be my favorite currently in the league. He just runs people over. But as a quarterback, he's taking unnecessary hits. And this is that this is what I'll say is you also have to you have to have appreciation for where you stand. Obviously, everyone came into this season. The Bills were the favorite, right? To win the Super Bowl. They are now not in the lead in their division. Uh, so that plays a factor. But it's kind of like, and this is what I in a reverse way, this is like playoff hockey, right? If you guys watch, if you're watching like regular season hockey, there's fights all the time. There's goalies going after goalies. There's guys that are like smacking the, sh- they're like slashing the shit out of some dude. But when you watch playoff hockey, it's not that way at all. It's very clean. There's very little fights. Why is that? Because that is going to affect your team at the end of the day. The same thing goes for football, but in kind of a reverse. Why do you need to put your neck out in October, in September, on these runs, on these crazy lowering the shoulder thing, when you know that what really matters is the December, January time frame? So save your save your hits for when it really, really matters versus just whenever you think, hey, it's a third down, I got to get the first down. Exactly. If it was the Super Bowl and he was taking the hits that he does take now, I would be like, you know what? That's fine. You sell out. You're at the Super Bowl. You need to win. This is what you play for. But this isn't new, though. I mean, like, there's been public things about the Bills saying, like, dude, Josh, we love you, bro, but you got to slide. So, but it is fun to watch. I mean, he is a stud. He is a a big body dude that wants to run people over. So, got to respect the game. That's fun to watch. Since since Dak was pitching me some great questions and you know some tough questions earlier, I will ask you this. So Josh Allen has thrown the same amount of interceptions, two interceptions per game, as he has thrown zero intercept interceptions per game. So he has four games a season 
where he's thrown no picks, four games where he's thrown two picks or more. So my question to you is, is this concerning for the for the Bills going forward when you go into the playoffs? And that is going to matter a lot. I think the big thing is the hits that we've talked about. Obviously, you have the official injury reports that every team posts, right? But like football is a physical game. Whether like you you can watch it all you want and be like, oh, that wasn't that hard of a hit. Until you're taking those hits, I mean, the past ten years of my life, I played seven seasons. So until you're taking those hits, it's like regardless if you have an official injury or not, that can affect your gameplay. And I think because he's taking those hits, that's why you're seeing his interception numbers creep up. I think as far as a future is concerned, if Josh Allen slides more or gets out of bounds, doesn't take those big hits when it's unnecessary, I think I think you see those numbers drop. So I think he, he can definitely be a franchise quarterback that you decide to keep him around. I'll take it from a different perspective here. When you look at the caliber of the offense that the Bills are, you name their two best receivers. You already Diggs did. Diggs and Davis. Diggs and Davis. Look at who they are. They're not five-yard you know, slant receivers. No, they're not the Welkers and Edelmans. They are. We were throwing bombs. And so when you do that, you have to take the good with the bad. Now, I'm not saying Josh has thrown some unnecessary interceptions, specifically in the red zone. So those are not, you know, 60-yard bombs. So I, I acknowledge that. That is a, a fundamental decision-making process thing going on there and probably secondarily so to an injury. However, you have to realize that they are an explosive offense that throws the ball downfield. And so when you throw 60-yard bombs to to Davis and Diggs, you have to acknowledge that there's some toss-up balls. And you are leaning on a guy with an arm and a receiver that is going to pull down some crazy shit. So so that you're you're in the same category now. We heard it last year um from some former defensive backs in the NFL saying when Trayvon Diggs was getting burned, but he was coming up with 14 picks in his season. And they're saying, look, I don't care how many touchdowns he's coming up with. 14 picks, that's 14 touchdowns he took off the board. He's not getting burned that much. So you're saying that because of that deep threat, because of the touchdowns he is putting up, it's worth the picks that maybe you have to sacrifice in order to get there. I don't mind that. Right. So, you, yeah, your coach – the, the coaching scheme has to be around your players, right? You can't coach to a team that doesn't play like that, right? And so if you know that that is how your guys play, you alter how you coach. Yeah, okay, we've got big bomb-making dudes. Okay, well, we play around that. So, Plus, I'd also add, it's like he, he, he throw the game losing pick against the Vikings, but it's not like they got blew out. Uh, I think they play the Vikings again. It's it's one of those 50-50 toss-ups. It's like either team could take the game at the end of the day. Yeah, we've got some tight NFL football. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's transition from some NFL football. And I, I will say, um, out of all of those three games, I think the – so we talked about the Dallas and Bills. Obviously, the other one is Cincy-Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee is – on fire right now. I think the easy bet right here is maybe to throw all three of them in a teaser because 
Bills have had trouble covering a big spread, like eight Dallas in a rivalry game. You know, it may get close, but we know what the better team is. I think the easy bet here is to throw Dallas, Tennessee, and Bills in a teaser, like a six point, six and a half teaser to where you get Dallas minus two, Tennessee plus seven and a half, and Bills plus two, or excuse me, Bills minus two. You'll probably get, I don't know, probably minus, or sorry, plus 200 or so odds. 200 to 300 odds, depending on what sports book you play. I think that's the good bet for your Thanksgiving. You get some great odds, and you get probably the odds on favorite for each game. And hopefully we won't have an opposite week where everything flips the script. It's bananas to me that Tennessee's not favored here. They are on such a roll right now. They are looking like a killer football team. Yeah, Tennessee is 7-1 and one straight up, 8-0 and oh against the spread in the last eight games. I did read on a sports book uh, that uh, Vegas Insider did say that one of the sports book was actually looking at initially making Tennessee the favorite here at home, which again, going to Dak's point, I totally agree with. I think Tennessee is a pretty good spread or as Tennessee is a pretty good lock here. We have seen how well running backs have run against Cincy, including Pittsburgh. So you put someone like Henry against that. I think you're going to be able to run up the score. I think Tennessee is probably a pretty good bet here. Yeah, I completely agree. No, no question there that I will put money on Tennessee to cover. Okay, so we also, we have obviously a huge week in Thanksgiving. We also have a huge week in college football. And as we know on this podcast, we love college football like we love our own children. And so uh, I will say this is one of those weeks that has, there's a couple really good games and there's a couple really interesting games. So, so let's, let, let's, before we get into that, well, no, as we get into that, rather, I want to play the upset, right? So this okay. is not going to be the game of the week. It's not expected to be. But let's talk about your boys. Okay, so A&M last week played UMass. Some of Matt's boys. Uh, A&M was a and was favored, I think, by 31 points. And I, I, I put out in our group, and uh, I should, I'll probably start putting it out. I, I, uh, and I said, take UMass. A&M has not even put up this many points in there, other than once this entire season. And lo and behold, A&M wins but doesn't cover. There is a potential that AM was looking forward, and I've seen some talk on the AM player side that they are prepping. They want to play the spoiler against LSU. This is a huge game. This is a game where a lot of recruits are going to show up. We saw LSU that struggled in the first half, pulled away in the second. They struggled against UAB. So the question is LSU going into Kyle Field plus AM getting. Nine and a half right now. I expect that spread to probably go up a lot of the money going on LSU just because AM's offense hasn't been able to put it together. So the question is, is can AM keep it close enough where they could ruin LSU season? Let's not forget, this is the same AM team that was one play away from 
winning against Alabama, one play away against winning against Ole Miss, but has really fallen off of late. I wouldn't necessarily put it past him, but the sharps and the early money is definitely heavy on LSU here. Yeah. This is not the game that we are tuning in to watch because this is supposed to be a good matchup. It's can this be a spoiler? I don't know, dude. I mean, I cheer for your boys because I cheer for you. Uh, you've played a lot of teams close. You're right. You played Alabama close, Ole Miss close. So can can they keep it close against a team that they are supposed to not win? I mean, the over-under is only 46. So if you're expected to only score 46 points against a nine-and-a-half-point spread, they're saying A&M is not scoring jack or shit. Yeah. And and if you look at the offense, that's exactly what AM has scored Jack and shit all Who, season. Who's gonna start? I think I think you see Weigman start the the freshman. He started that's against crazy. He started against UMass. He's a five star. I mean, you haven't yeah. seen I mean, you haven't seen the production that you thought. I mean, Max Johnson is still hurt. You haven't seen the production uh from uh any of the other Texas you know, quarterback. So I think Weidman is the easy play here. Get him some more reps. And it is a night game, seven o'clock at uh, at Kyle Field. And I will tell you right now, the line for tickets for students has already started. Let me ask you this. Do you think this is a Jimbo ploy to keep a five-star? Like we talked about this last week. Like, you know, your season's done. So you're like, well, shit, these guys are probably not the best and they're not the future of our program. Let me get this five star in here so he gets some reps so that he doesn't leave my ass next year. I would say for quarterback, no, because I mean, well, one Max Johnson is hurt, but like, what have we seen from A and M that has said that the production comes from another area? It just it hasn't been there. Obviously, Anaya Smith is out. A chain has been banged up, but you know. I don't. I don't think it is. I mean, it may be in a small part, but I think a lot of it just has to do with you're banged up. You're a young squad, so go ahead and put your young dudes in. Let them play their heart out, and let's see what happens. All right. So let's go to the maybe second best game of the week, and then another game that can also play spoiler and Notre Dame USC five and a half uh, to USC over under sixty three. I mean, this is the key, right? So USC, we, we laid it out last week. If you guys have listened to us, USC has the path to make the college football playoff and make it with a really good final three games, right? So they beat UCLA, which was a really highly ranked team. Notre Dame is also ranked in the top 20, so they could beat Notre Dame. And then they go on and maybe they play Oregon in their final game if they beat that. They have a really clear path to the college football playoff here. And it's up to them. Notre Dame is peaking at the right time. And let's be honest. We know that USC does not have a home field advantage. The Rams don't have a home field advantage. UCLA like lied about the fact that they're able to pack their stadium out. They said, oh, we had 65,000 people buy our tickets. Okay, well, your stadium has 90,000 seats in it. So that means you didn't sell out. So I think this is a much more even game. Five and a half is a lot. But again, Notre Dame, they've beaten up on the teams they're supposed to. But are they the real deal? 
I don't even know. Yeah, well, we've we've harped on this for so long about giving coaches time. Like people were like, Marcus Freeman's not the dude. And we, you know, if you go back and listen to early episodes, we're like, hey, you got to give them time. And so you're right. They are peaking at the right time. They've, they've played some very good games, and they are positioned to play the upset here. Yeah, I, I think that probably – I think the over is the play here. We know that USC's defense was just not able to make barely any stops against a very high-powered offense in uh ucla last weekend i mean they hit the the 77 total by the end of the third quarter i think you could probably see 63 points pretty easily here but early money is definitely on usc so i'll transition to what is the game of the week this will decide which big 10 team is in the college football playoff and that is michigan at ohio state in the shoe Ohio State getting seven points and a kicker with the over-under of 57. What are your thoughts here? These two teams, undefeated, clear college football playoff berth on the line, the winner of this game, in the line seven and a half. That's bananas to me. Uh, I'll go ahead and say this is my bet of the week. I just don't think that these two teams, the caliber of teams that they are, the what's on the line, playing in the spotlight, that it's going to be a touchdown in a in a hook game. This is going to be a close game. I can't tell you who the better team is, but I can tell you what a rivalry game means and what it means to, you know, potentially go to the college play, college football playoffs to the players on the field. It's everything. And so if you tell me that this game's not going to be a three or a four or less point football game, you're – let me go with a new one. Let's say uh, higher in draft taint, right? Higher I'm than swear. draft Higher taint. in draft taint. You heard it here first. Higher than draft taint. That's, that's – uh, oh, seven and a half, zero chance. So lock of the week, bet Michigan to be within seven and a half. I just I just don't see it. You? Yeah, this is this is tough because I think if it comes down to just quarterback play, CJ Stroud is head and shoulders better than Michigan. But the but the question is can Michigan's defense limit that? Can they limit the big plays? Can they keep Michigan kind of churning? We saw some injury issues. I don't know question is, will Blake Corum be back for Michigan? Because that will be a huge plus for them. If he's not, I think seven and a half is an easy lay for Ohio State. If he is, I think I, I agree with Dak here. This is going to be much closer than over a touchdown. Um, I also think the under might be an, might be a good play here, especially if Blake Corum isn't back. It's going to be a dogfight. Everyone is going to get up for this game. I think the under 57, you might see this as one as like a 24 to 13 type game. I think you'd probably be okay coming in on the under here. As far as pick of the weeks go, I'm, I'm actually going to go NFL on this one. And I am a, I'm a big Patriots fan. Um, yes, we're not good this year. But I'm still going to stand by my boys, even in their hard times. And despite the fact 
Um, I don't I don't know why, but the spread says it's going to be three to the Vikings. I'm going to take the Vikings covering the spread because I just don't think the Patriots' offense is going to be able to keep up with the Vikings' offense. To our credit, we do have a good defense this year, but I think the Vikings are mad after a huge loss to Dallas. I think they are going to have a no-bullshit kind of practice week. I think they are going to come in and probably destroy us. I would love to see us win. I would love it, but I just think that's wishful thinking, honestly. Yeah, it's a great so, take, I think. Vikings over Patriots, I think they win by at least 14 to 17. So that's me. That's what I got. I, I love you know, I, I love that bounce back spot. Vikings embarrassed at home by the Cowboys. They want to get that pride back. They're going to pour it on. I really like that spot for the Vikings. Dave, Dave leans on emotion a lot in his bed. Um, football's emotional game. Disagree. It's an no. emotional game. All right, what's your lock of the week, homeboy? So I am going to go with Dak's team here. So Arkansas Razorbacks are, are going huge win, monumental. They're going to Missouri, and they're only getting four and a half at Missouri. Missouri is not a tough place to play. Granted, Missouri had a good win last week. I don't think Missouri is not in a good spot here. Uh, they don't really, like, I, I don't think they're already bowl eligible, so they're not, like, playing for bowl eligibility. You don't have to put it on the line. I really like the Razorbacks here to get a good win, 14-plus, build momentum. KJ looked really good. The running game looked really good. Missouri has struggled defensively i like the razorbacks big here i think four and a half is way too low so my lock and you guys can go ahead and put it on your fucking banners dave is picking the arkansas razorbacks for his lock of the week i like you and Woo i like pig. your pick Woo fucking pig let's go hey you know as a diehard razorback you can call about a thousand people on my phone and tell you that we this was our year we're on a bounce back. Hey, we're we're bowling this year. We're not done. There's a couple of games that, that should have uh landed our way. You give Rocket Sanders the football, that's some bitch a run it. And KJ is a dude too. And uh so glad to have him back this week. I love it. Let's go, Dave. Let's go. All right. So let's get into the safety brief. We know that drinking thing nation, you're going into Thanksgiving week. You got a lot of things. You're traveling to see family. Maybe your family's coming to you. You got a lot of things on your mind. We're just going to gift you some wisdom. So, Matt, what do you have for Drink and Think Nation? All right. Drink and Think Nation, Dak and Dave. Don't forget the night before Thanksgiving, number one drinking holiday of the year. The fuzz is still out there. Know your limits. Know what you can do. Know what you can't. All right. Get a ride. There's plenty of options out there. Uber, taxi, Lyft, whatever you choose. Furthermore, on Thanksgiving, maybe you have a Thanksgiving Day family football game like I do. You're getting older. Trust me, those injuries are going to last a little bit longer. Don't be going too hard against your cousin, uncle, nephew, whoever it might be. Despite what you think you can still can do, Monday is shortly around the corner. So as you get older, drink responsibly, drive responsibly, and take it a little easy on the football game. Remember, it's all good and fun. Yeah, you got to know what you're good at and know when you need to ask for help. 
much like the Vikings media team, if because the Vikings media team somehow thought that they're in their Veterans Day tribute, which we absolutely take our hats off to as three veterans. They somehow, somebody submitted a picture of Johnny Sins, which the Vikings media team proudly displayed for their entire stadium to see at the Cowboys game, a male porn star as in a picture, which is the opening of what I can only assume is his opening to whatever scene he was about to do. Know what you're good at and know when you need to ask for help. The media team for the Vikings, you need some help, unlike Johnny Sins in whatever scene he just did. So what I will say is, like Matt said, what you're good at, drinking beer, playing football, when you need to ask for help, whether that's getting a ride or not, like truck sticking your seven-year-old niece, that's when you need to just take the pump the brakes, chill out, and just enjoy a great Thanksgiving. That's been a lot of fun. We'll see you guys later.